Amen, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Identity Church. Um, the Lord this week has been on my heart. Uh, Heather actually said this to me, too, that this, this subject has been kind of something that I think Heather and I have been in, uh, the Holy Spirit's been dealing with us about, is hope and expectation. And I think that, you know, I've kind of touched on some of these things at times when I've been preaching, but I think that the Lord keeps pushing me back towards this. He keeps giving me more insight into hope and expectation because I think that we're in a time where people don't know how to hope and how to have expectation. And you may be going, Dusty, hope and expectation is the same thing. And I, I mean... I would have told you the. I would have told you that. I would have said, "Well, you know, I'm expecting, and I'm also hoping." You know, well, hope and expectation, especially in the Bible, is a little bit different. It has some different connotation to it, and and we're going to get into that this morning. Uh, and I'm I'm planning on at least preaching on this for a couple of weeks. I know Heather said that she's got some stuff that she wants to teach on too, but I won't. I want us to, to draw into this because I believe that our ability to, to have hope and expectation is what's going to carry us into the next levels in our lives. Because God wants us to keep going. You know, the Holy Spirit, the last few weeks, as, as we've been doing praise and worship, I've actually gotten over into some of this and talked about us seeing beyond seeing beyond what we can see. You know, I gave the example that, you know, a lot of times we don't, we're not able to, to see beyond, um, you know, Pastor Jim used to call it the smoke screen. Uh, I, use the, I use the terminology of seeing beyond the rain. We went on vacation, it was raining. I could only see maybe 100 feet in front of me, but every 100 feet, I saw another 100 feet, right? I mean, every time I moved one little bit beyond where I was at, I got to see more and more of the road that was ahead. And see, that's the thing that the Lord keeps telling me is that the world puts up this rain, puts up a smoke screen, puts up a, a barrier. And as long as we keep moving and seeing forward, then what we, what we get is we get to see the next little bit every single time. And we go, oh, well, that's not the wall. That's not the end. What I see is not the end. What I feel is not the end. What I believe is not the end because God wants to give you more to believe. God wants to show you more. Amen. So I'm calling this keep your eye on the ball. So I've got a couple things up here. <laughs> Um, and yes, I will tend to use good, bad, and the ugly. It's a spaghetti Western thing that I got going on. Uh, every once in a while, I will talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, a lot. But our hope and our expectation has to do with how we see things. It has to do with how we, how we take our, ourselves to, to the next level. And so... I, our, our main key text is going to be Philippians 119 through 21. It says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and supply 
of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest hope, or my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me is to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I want you to understand something. Expectation in the Greek here means it, it is, and I can't even say this word. I'm going to butcher it, but I'm going to try. It's uh, oprakratakia. Go look it up. Y'all can figure it out yourself, okay? But the, the Greek word here means, in the sense of watching, is an intense anticipation. It means to anticipate something that is coming at you or that you're going after. The word hope here is elipis, and it means confidence. It's, it's almost... It's almost like trust, but it's more of that forward-looking. It's more of that, I have the confidence that this is going to happen. I have confidence that, the way this says here in verse 20, according to my earnest, which that would be intense anticipation, that I have confidence that nothing, that I shall be ashamed, but with boldness, that I'll be magnified in my body through Christ Jesus. See, I want you to understand is that Paul during this time frame is writing to the Philippians and he's telling them, hey, I'm in prison. I've been through all these different things that are going on. And you guys, are, in fact, Philippians chapter four, it, this is a love letter, by the way, to Philippian, to the Philippian people. They actually funded him. More than anybody else. Jerusalem didn't fund them. None of the Antioch churches, anything. It was only the Philippians that was sending him a, an offering that was consistently doing things to promote his ministry. So he decided to write them a love letter. And he's trying to bring them into this idealism that yes, I'm having some bad things happen to me, but I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to be encouraged that what you're doing is the right thing through Christ Jesus. And so he's basically telling them, look, I have an intense anticipation that something good's going to happen. I have confidence that I'm not going to be ashamed at the end of all this. That God has a plan and a purpose for all the things that are going on and that I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That if I live, it's Christ. And if I die, it's my gain. I go on to be with him. So either way, I win. And see, that was the love letter that he was writing to the Philippian churches is to keep them in this place of peace that keep doing what you know that God wants you to do. Keep believing with me because I'm not giving up. I'm not believing that I'm going to die. In fact, you will actually find out they released Paul from, from prison within like a year and a half of all of this. Well, you're not going to find out. You've got to go study it. And the timeline, well, then he gets rearrested like four or five years later. But at this point, he's in prison, and then they, he gets released, and he goes off and he preaches, and he teaches, and he creates First and Second Timothy, and he does all the other books that, that are in that time frame. So he was true. He was right. 
He was like, hey, it looks like it's the end for me. They're going to take my head. But you know what? I still have confidence and I anticipate that God is going to glorify some stuff in my body. So he was in full anticipation. He's telling him, hey, believe with me. Stay with me. I'm going to do this as what God wants me to do. And because of it, you're going to get to see the blessing of it too. So I've got the good, the bad, and the ugly. The little kid here about to hit the t-ball, I used to tell Caleb all the time, I coached Caleb pretty much from the time he was like four or five years old all the way up until he was like 12. And we'd, we'd always say, hey, keep your eye on the ball. You know, most of the kids, they would hit the tee. They wouldn't hit the ball. This kid's got his eye on the ball. And we would, that, I needed to have a shirt back then that said, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Because I, I constantly said that. I was telling every kid that, well, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Hey, keep your eye, remember, eye on the ball. I don't know how many times I said that, how many ways I said it, but I said it every single time. And so this kid's got his eye on the ball, so he's good, right? And in the spaghetti western way of good, bad, and ugly, there is a bad. Now, I want you to understand, this guy, this dude right here is clapping. He has no idea he's about to get hit in the eye with this ball. This lady thinks it's great right here, by the way. She's like, yeah, awesome. I just watched a guy have his eye knocked out. I mean, so, you know, this is a, this shows us that, hey, we can be doing some things. Hey, I'm clapping. I'm having a good time. And I get hit in the eye with a ball. This guy, I just call him ugly. And it's got a gif in the tennis balls about to hit him in the face here. But, uh. He knows, hey, this is about to happen to me. This is not going to be good. But the good expectation and hope that we have can be found here in Acts 10, 1 through 4. And going back to my great, 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 grandfather here in verse 1 of Acts 10, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. That was Grandpa Cornelius. And a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, and a devout man, and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he, was, he saw a, clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. <clears throat> I want you to understand something about this. Why was Cornelius the one that ended up being the, the bridge to the Jews? Because of his heart. It's because of his heart. But it's because he lived a life in front of his family in his household that meant that every single one of them would go and pray. Every single one of them. It's saying that their whole household, that their whole way of life was centered around God. 
This guy had gotten a hold of something that even most of the Jews had not gotten a hold of. He was sitting there praying, saying, hey, I know I'm not a part of the Jewish people, but I want to have the same blessings. I want to be a part of what God is doing. And so he lived his life that way. He wasn't praying to another God. He was praying to the God of Israel. And we know that he gave generously. Well, he didn't go to church. There was no churches for Gentiles. We had, all you had back then was a synagogue that you could go to, a temple, and you would go and sacrifice. They didn't go to church, by the way. I mean, it was literally like they would have a reading and then they would end up having a sacrifice. That was pretty much what you ended up having every single time, except for the feasts. The feasts is when they would actually do readings and they would do their prayers and they would do songs and things like that. But for the most part, there wasn't this thing called a church. They didn't even know what a church was. But every day, this God-fearing man that wasn't even a Jew, he would sit and he would pray to God. He gave generously, not to a church, but to people. He gave generously to those who were in need, those people that were around him. Whatever he could give, he did. So that was time, relationship, and money. You know, money is good. I mean, give money to people. That's perfectly fine. Give money to church. That's great. I'm, I'm all good with money. But do you know that I find that most times if you want to actually influence people's lives and you want to do something that's worthwhile, you got to spend some time and have a relationship with them. Because money, I, I can pull out, I can pull out a... I can pull out a dollar right here and I can give it to Reba. She can go spend this dollar, not as good as you once was able to spend it, but she can go spend that dollar pretty quickly. And she can be thankful for it at that point in time. And maybe the dollar helped her out. But you know what? The actual relationship and the time we spent together is going to mean more to her throughout her life than the amount of money that you gave. So this actual alms here means to just offer yourself, offer money, offer time, offer relationship to people. Give of yourself. And then, of course, you know that he would pray and his whole family prayed. But I want you to understand this last part where Cornelius was afraid and he was talking to the angel and, and he said, your prayers... The angel said, your prayers and your alms, and alms just means offering, just means an offering of any kind, have come up for a memorial before God. This word memorial here in the Greek has to do with remembrance or record. Do you know that I'm not going to go as far as to say God has a record book in heaven that he's sitting there and he's checking off things, but I believe that there was a that there was every time he would do this, God said, that guy right there, he wants a relationship with me. See, there was a separation between him and God because Jesus had not yet had been in his heart. He had not accepted Jesus at this point. So he couldn't have full-blown relationship. All he was doing is just talking. I'm just praying. I'm just trying to do my best. I love God. I want to do my best. But he had no 
physical, spiritual connection to God. And see, God said, you know what? This has made a record to me. Basically, it came up and said, hey, you, I'm going to, you have made me to say, I've got to get this to you faster. I can't wait on Paul. I can't wait on anybody else to come out there in these areas and create churches. I got to go to you because it's almost like a little bit like Enoch. There was a man that was looking for more of God. So you know what God does? The more you look for God, the more he gives. The more you look for God, the more God gives. So you know what he did? He goes, I'm going to send some. I'm sending Peter. I got to actually have a huge spiritual thing where I show him that they can, that the Gentiles are good. I got to have the whole, the sheet thing that come down from heaven that had all the unclean, you know, animals and say, kill and eat, Peter. I mean, that was a, that was a fast forward. That was God getting it into the, the channel faster. We got to get this guy to me quicker. We got to get Jesus to him faster because he's, he's trying. He wants more. And if somebody wants more, I'm going to give more. So God always waits and looks for when we're ready to hit the ball. You know, I, I put this up here because, you know, with Caleb, I, so we went from T-ball to coach pitch to kid pitch. And every single one of those transitions was weird, okay? The T-ball, they would always hit the T. And pretty much they just let them hit at the ball until they could hit the ball. Well, then when it came to coach pitch, you gave them like three, four pitches to hit the ball. And I remember as a coach, I would have a ball in my hand and I would, they would all be sitting there, you know, looking at you with this look on their face like, I want to hit the ball, but I don't know if I can hit the ball. And I would go, all right, keep your eye on the ball. And I would go, you remember, Dad? I would actually go, look, look at the ball. Watch the ball. Watch the ball. Watch the ball. And I would, I would take the ball and I would do this at them. You know why? Because they would be standing up there and all of a sudden the dog would run over there and they would be looking at the dog. And then there would be a car and they would go look at the car. And then I actually hit a couple of kids because they weren't paying attention. You know? There was one kid I hit and he started crying. He was like, why did you hit me? And I was like, you weren't paying attention. Do you know that God, for the longest time, for ever since, ever since he made the promise to Abraham, God was there with his ball going, hey, who's ready to hit the ball? Who's ready to take a swing? And everybody's just looking out in the outfield. Hey, there's a guy out there running around. Do you know that that was the way that our unregenerated mind works? Is that most of the time, I want God, but squirrel, what, what were we talking about? Oh, I got work to do, or I got something's going on, or my family's mad, or there's some piece of thing that I got to go fix. And so it, things became more important then I've just got to go seek God on my own. And so God was looking for somebody to throw the ball to. He was looking for somebody to hit it. And Cornelius, every single day, would sit there and look for the pitcher's mound. He was looking for God. He was looking for him 
God, I'm here. I'm here. I'm waiting for the ball. I'm waiting for the ball. Man, that's amazing. It's amazing. An unregenerated spirit. There probably had not been a man, especially a Gentile, that had done that since Enoch. God was excited. God wanted to have this relationship because he knew that if I could just get this to him, he's going to accept it. I don't have it up here, but Peter basically walked into the place. He preached maybe like for five minutes. They all got filled with the Holy Ghost. They were praising God. And Peter and all the people that were with him were like, what's happening? I didn't even tell them about the good part about Jesus. Other, I mean, I just said Jesus is and he died for you. And all of a sudden they go, I believe, hallelujah. And they started praising the Lord. Well, they weren't going to be stopped by a sermon. They weren't going to be stopped by formality. Oh, I got to go get baptized first. Peter actually, after the thing, said, well, you know, do we go baptize them now? Okay, let's go find some water. Didn't but you they know, already accepted? I mean, basically, they already accepted, didn't they? Who? The people. When they went and preached, they already had accepted there was a God. They may not have known about Jesus. Well, they didn't know about Jesus. I know. But they knew there was God, the one true God. Well, I will tell you this. They knew about the Jewish God. The Italians believed like the Romans. The Romans believed in every God. In fact, they actually had memorials to gods. In fact, you'll go and find out that on Mars Hill, Paul went to Mars Hill He's talking with all the Greeks and the Romans. And this is in Acts, like chapter, I think it's like chapter 14 or something like that. But Paul went to him and he said, hey, he said, he's looking around and he sees Zeus and he sees Vulcan and he sees all these different people. And he would walk up and he goes, you know, they were, they were so afraid they were going to miss a God that they put a memorial to the unknown God. Okay, and Paul actually walks up to that one and says, hey, I know about this one. Come over here. I'll talk to you about this, this one right here. And that was how they, he started a conversation with them. And the Greeks, they were ready to, okay, well, your God, my God, I'll just accept him. That's fine. Well, Jesus. And they would go, okay, Jesus, I, let me go get a stone etcher. I'll put Jesus right here. I don't care. I mean, they didn't care. They they would accept any God. And that was the reason why Paul said, well, I can't come to you with wise and persuasive words of man's wisdom. He said, I have to come to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because that's the difference between those people on Mars Hill and, and Cornelius and his family and all of the people that were around him was they were expecting. They had an anticipation. These other people were like, okay, Tell me about this Jesus. I'll put him on my wall. I don't really expect anything from him, but I'll, I'll put him into the mix of all the other gods that I pray for or pray with. And see, that was the thing is that Cornelius himself had seen the God of Israel. He had had dealings with the God of Israel. And he said, that is the real one. That's the one true God. So he was like, I, I'm going to go and that's the one I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray to. That's the one I'm going to give alms in front of. That's, that's the God 
And so when, Je- so when Jesus sent the angel, and the angel said, hey, there's more. Cornelius is like, send them. Who do I got to go to? I'll go there. Send for Peter. And Peter came and he just said, Jesus died for your sins. And everybody said, I believe. You don't have to preach anymore. Praise God, we're about to have a service. Do you know that that was the, that was the point that I wanted, I wanted to kind of make here is that when you have anticipation, when you have that anticipation where I'm looking for the ball, I'm looking for what God is throwing at me. Then you're going to hit it and accept it. You know, some people hit the home run and they, you know, Bo Jackson used to break the bat over his leg or over his head, you know. Well, some people celebrate. Boom. Well, that's what Cornelius did. He went, he hit the ball, bam. He took the bat and he broke it over his head and said, praise the Lord. Well, that's great. But you got to run the bases. You got to score the run. You got to continue to do the things because God's saying, hey, that ain't it. You know, I find that a lot of people, that, especially in the Pentecostal service circles, they'll go to a church, they'll, woo! And then the next thing you know is they're still living the same life that they always lived. They, they didn't have any change, it was just a whole lot of flash in the pan. But see, God's saying, hey, this is something when you hit. It changes the score. It progresses the game. It gets us to the next level. And that's what I'm trying to show you here is that we anticipate earnestly, intensely, we're looking for God. You know, everybody's doing that, but they just don't really understand all the different pieces and parts. You know, the Jews were doing that too. See, bad expectation and hope is the opposite of what we just saw with Cornelius. What we saw with Cornelius was, whoo, I'm looking for what God's doing. But we can see in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, what advantage then has the Jews over, or what is the the profit of circumcision? Verse 2 says, much in every way. You think to myself, okay, well then I gotta go become a Jew. No, it's not what he's saying. It says, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. You had a set of people that God entrusted the bloodline of Jesus Christ. He gave them the prophets. He gave them the law. He gave them everything so that they could see who Jesus is going to be. In fact, in Daniel chapter 2, if you go read it, they already knew it. John chapter, I think, 17, the whole Sanhedrin's going, well, if he is the Messiah, then he's supposed to die for us. There was already talk. People were looking around. They were saying, maybe he is, maybe he's not. See, the Jews were supposed to know. They were supposed to see. They were supposed to believe and they were supposed to to take on the God kind of traits that was going to move them into being the people that led everything else. Well, guess what? They didn't. They did not take up that banner as a people. Now, there were Jews. Most of the people who were originally saved, they were the Jews that went out. And, but they were not the chief priests. They were not the, 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This was a this was a complete like dis, distinct issue that was happening for all of Israel. Not individual people, but Israel themselves did not believe in Jesus. Verse 3 says, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? The answer is certainly not. Do you know that even in your own life, if somebody comes to you at work, you know, I used to have this problem. I used to have this problem when I found an unbeliever. It used to make me go, oh, how can you not believe? You know, I, I used to go, well, I don't know if I want to go talk to that person because then they're going to try to like make me not believe. Or they're going to try to, you know, argue with me about God. Oh, how could you believe in the Bible? How can you believe in Jonah and the whale? How can you believe in Noah's ark? How can you believe in all these different things? And I used to go, I, I don't know how to answer that question. Because I wasn't spiritually strong enough in myself. You know, the Lord told me one time, he said, he said, you just believe and I'll handle all the rest. He said, their belief has nothing to do with your belief. And so, I started having conversations with atheists at work. You know what I would find out is that they don't know what they believe. They're looking for something. And you know, I would ask every single one of them, hey, well, if you knew God was true, would you believe in him? And he goes, they said, yes. I'm not stupid. If God came and showed me himself, I would believe. And I said, I said, what if he only showed you? Now you're one of the crazy ones like me. What if that happened? You know, we would be sitting there. I said, you'd be the same kind of guy. Well, why doesn't God show the whole world? It's because he wants you to believe. He's not asking for other people to believe. He's asking for you to believe. If my faith was based on Joanne's belief, then I'm probably pretty good because I believe Joanne believes. But if my faith is based on some guy that I work with that's an atheist that says I don't know, I don't think so I believe in evolution I believe in all this other stuff and I went, oh, that affects my faith well guess what I'm not keeping my eye on the ball I'm allowing somebody to distract me just like Israel was being distracted they were being distracted politically, they were being distracted socially they were being distracted in every way possible. And when the actual Messiah shows up, doing all the miracles that was in the, that was in the Old Testament, doing all the things that, that they knew was supposed to happen with the Messiah, they still didn't believe because they were distracted. See, that's what we have to understand is that my belief is not based on your belief. You know why? Because we're going to have some people that are going to come in here that goes, I don't believe. Free will. Free will. God said, hey, I'm going to give you the will to believe the way you want to believe. You'll be wrong. See, that's the, that's the thing that, that always screams out to me is the fact that a bad expectation just says, I don't know if I expect anything at all. I don't know if I expect 
any that God's going to do anything. And that's what happened with the Jews. That's what happens in a lot of people's lives is they just go, I don't expect anything. I have a bad expectation. I'm not anticipating anything from God. So God can show up and they go, oh, okay. I, this may be a little bit controversial. I prayed for a guy one, one time. He was having a problem at work. He, he absolutely was completely healed of the thing that he was having a problem with. Okay? Completely and totally. Back to the point to where people were actually going, hey, you're walking around better. And you know what's funny about that is, is that he would go, well, I don't know if that was it. I don't know if your prayer, and I said, what my prayer, by the way? I said, this has nothing to do with me. This has to do with you. Because I go and pray for somebody that has nothing to do with me. Because if your will says no, it doesn't work. But see, that's what people have. They have a bad... See, not having faith is just a bad expectation. Not expecting nothing. Nothing should happen. Nothing will happen. And see, that's what the Jewish people, they were distracted by all these things. And when God has a plan for us, He's just saying, hey, don't be distracted. Just believe. And that's for a lot of different things. That's for your family. That's for the, the people that you deal with on a daily basis. The strife, the, the, the anger, the, the despair. God says, there's a better way. There's a better way. Are you expecting that it's going to change? See, if you start expecting change, change will come. All right, let's get to the ugly. Let's get to this ugly mug right here. All right? Ugly expectation and hope. We see that example in Ephesians 4, 20 through 29. It says, in verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. So I want you to understand what this is saying. It was like, if you don't understand this, then you don't know Christ. That's basically what this is saying, okay? If indeed you had heard him and had been taught by him as the truth in, is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful, like the deceitful lust. And this deceitful lust means to deceive. So we're not talking about lust like, oh, well, I'm, I'm lusting after a, a woman or a man or whatever. This has nothing to do with that. This has to do with the, the deceit, the, the things that I say to people, and it makes me feel good. Have you ever said something really like, you know, told somebody something that was really wrong or, or that, that just made you feel good? How about this? How about you found somebody that you just really didn't like and they were going through a bad time and you said something to them that cut them a little bit? That would be a little bit like this. I'm, I'm going against God's word, but you know what? Mom, I just I want you to hurt a little bit more, so I'm just going gonna to hurt you. I'm going to hurt you through words, not through anywhere else. 
You know, I remember being a teenager and things would happen and I would use words to hurt mom or hurt dad because they could hurt me physically, right? So I was sitting there going, well, how do I, how do I get back at them? How do I say things that are harmful or hurtful? If you've ever had kids, that, that happens from time to time. Now, I beat that out of my kids. I'm just going to be honest with you. They don't do that to me because the moment that it starts being like, Dad, I just want to make you feel bad, I go, okay, I'm going to whip you. And you may go, I'm a child abuser or whatever. My kids are really good. I've got a 19-year-old that's about to graduate from college, and she's doing great. I don't want to hear your, your whining and complaining about well, they need to have their own will. No, they need to have my will until they get out. Once they get out of my house, they can do whatever they want to, but I got news for you. I'm going to beat enough of it into them to where when they get out, they think twice about it. You know? So deceitful lust means I just changed the narrative. I, I changed what was truth about God's word into something else. I'll give you an example. Something bad goes on in our life and we pray to God and we go, God, why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this to happen to me? Why do you allow these bad things to happen in life? You know what? The deceitful, that's deceitful lust because his word says that I never change. His word says that he is love. And what we do is we want him to act on our behalf. See, a lot of times de deceitful words is, I used to say things to mom to try to get her to do something. Not to me, but I'm trying to manipulate her to, to do something to, to, make my, to make my situation better. Oh, I need more money or I need more, you know, I need more things. I need, I need a better, I don't know, a, a better whatever I needed at the time. So I used the deceitful language and the deceitful words of lust to try to create an opportunity to benefit myself. And see, that is where God, we sometimes do that to God. We go and tell God, hey, you know, why don't you let this happen, God? God says, well, go to my word and you'll find out who did that. You... You, you'll find out who, who's actually doing this stuff, right? I mean, Jesus himself was actually in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and the devil came to him and started doing all this stuff to him. He didn't go, God, why'd you send Satan out here? Why'd you, why'd you come and tempt me? No, he used the word and he said, get the heck out of here in his most weakest time. In verse 23, it says, and and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We've talked about this a lot. Romans 12, 2. We have to renew our mind by the spirit of God through his word. And it says in 24, verse 24, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, put away lying. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Well, what in the world does that mean? You know, some people have tried to say, well, it's a, a word issue here. 
and that we're not supposed to be mad with, with each other. Like me and mom, we're, we're, in, we're having this issue, and so I'm not supposed to let the sun go down without us making up. That's not true. That's not what this says. This says that I should not let my wrath go. And so you're going, oh, what in the world? Well, if you read this in context, you read this, especially if you go back into Greek, because King James' wordiness kind of gives us some issues sometimes. But be angry and sin not. Sinning not here means do not let the sun go down on your wrath towards the devil. Don't let up. Don't let the deceitfulness that the devil's putting out at you that you finally just get tired of it. And you go, I'm just going to give in and I'm going to be a strife person. You know, James 3 actually tells us that deceitfulness and strife brings confusion in all evil works. That's like 326. We have to understand that that we ourselves have to be angry at the devil. Always saying, uh-uh, that's a lie, devil. No, I'm not going to be in strife with my mom. I'm not going to be in strife with my family, with people that I work with. That causes confusion. It causes confusion and it causes strife and deceit. No, I need to be angry and have wrath towards the devil all the time. That's the godly way to have wrath, is to always be mad at the devil. No, devil, the moment I hear something in my head that says, well, Joanne's, Joanne's thinking bad thoughts about me. Which Joanne would never think bad thoughts about me. But if Joanne did think bad thoughts about me, and I thought that she had thought those thoughts that had been thought in, in the way that was thought and the devil was telling me that it has been thinking, right? Then I go, how dare Joanne? How dare would Joanne sit there and look at me with a big smile on her face the whole time I was preaching and tell me, she's telling me right now that she's upset with me. She doesn't like me. She doesn't, do you know that we can sit there and just keep building it up and Satan keeps drilling into the core. And we eventually get to the point to where we just give up and let Satan, Satan have... I said Satan. No, Satan is of God. <laughs> Nick Satan is of God. Satan is of Satan. Okay? What we've got to understand is that Satan is going to drill and drill and drill until we finally give up. And we give in. Have you ever been somewhere where you've given rent to somebody in your mind where you just thought about them over and over and over and over again to the point the next time you saw them, you were like, there's something weird between me and you. I have. I'm not going to lie. It happens to everybody. And y'all can't lie either because I know it happens to y'all as well. Okay? Giving y'all that little eye. You know it happens. Where you sit there and go, that person, I know that they're thinking bad thoughts about me. Or they said something I didn't like. Well, guess what? You go and say, Satan, shut up. You will not control me. You will not. I will not give you one ounce of space in my head to try to deceive or to try to destroy a relationship between people. 
I myself am going to be mad at Satan every single minute, and I'm not going to let that thought creep back in there. And that's what this says. Verse 27, don't give place to the devil. Verse 28 says, let him who stole steal no longer. We steal from God every time we go against his word. That's what Adam did. The moment he said, I, Adam said, I don't believe God anymore. He stole relationship. Do you know that Satan is trying to steal relationship away from you? He's trying to make you more and more and more controlled. Your prison becomes the thing that you sit around at night and you don't allow, you allow these things to come into your head. And he isolates. That's what Satan's trying to do right now to everybody, to me. That's what COVID did. COVID was the, is the way to make people say, oh, how do I separate people further? Oh, you don't have a mask on? I got to get 20 feet away from you. Oh, I don't know. I haven't, had, I haven't had my shot. Have you had your shot? Well, if you've had your shot and I have my shot, I can get within three feet of you now. It starts becoming a math problem, right? We start going around. Eventually, people are going to have little signs that says, I have had my shot. You may come within three feet of me. There's nothing wrong with getting the shot. But the thing is, it, there is something wrong with the social control that's going on around all because the moment that somebody says, hey, I have rules about how I can interact with people and how I can have relationship with people based upon, their, based upon whether or not they had a, a shot or how, let me, let me get me one of those guns and I'm going to get the LED uh, thing and I'm going to see how, oh, you got a, you got a slight fever. I can't talk to each of that. You know, Jesus used to walk up in the middle of people who had leprosy. You know, leprosy back then, there was no cure for it. He would go and handle them, touch them. Now, where your faith is, I don't know. I'm not asking you to go talk, talk to lepers, okay? I'm not asking you to go hug and kiss on COVID patients. But I want you to understand something. There is a point to where we've got to get back to a society that says that I love on people and I'm not afraid of people. And if that is a shot that makes you feel better about that, go get the shot. But we've got to get back to this rather than this, being a part. Okay, I'm, I'm getting to the end. We're going, I'm going to power through here, okay, because I could teach a lot more on this. But it says here in verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth, but what is good for and necessary for edification. That word edification means to build up. We, we see this word throughout the Bible when it talks about praying in tongues. It says it edifies our spirit. It basically, it raises our spirit above our soulical realm is basically what it does. This is the same exact thing. When I edify someone, that means I'm building them up. I walk up to mom and I go, you know what? You're the blessed of God. You're going you're gonna to do all the things that God has put in your heart. Absolutely. You know, the world comes back and goes, that ain't going to happen. You know, there's actually a, a 
Jesus actually tells us, don't throw our pearls before the swine. Do you know why he says that? It has to do with when, when you know something to be true and you go give that truth to someone else and you know that they're going to step on it. Like we know who the swine are, right? I work with people I'm not going to go walk up to and go, you know what? God is such a blessing and listen to all the blessings he's doing in my life. They're going to look at you and go, well, that ain't ever worked for me and that ain't ever going to work for you and I don't believe that and you're... Okay, I don't need to go to those people and go and tell them all the good things that I believe God's going to do for me. Now, there are people that you know that aren't swine that you walk up to and you say that and they go, tell me more. In fact, tell me because this blesses me to hear this. I want you to tell your testimony. surgery we were praying for the doctor's wisdom and guidance from the lord and for joanne to be completely healed and so while i was praying i previously had done something stupid and my lower back had been giving me grief and so while i was praying for joanne god said you can receive that too and i did and my back has been great this week so amen thank you, thank you lord do you know that do you know that we we get to we get to receive all this for someone else that was a blessing for Joanne, but it blessed Reba. Do you know that God's word is yes and amen? It is so. God's not one of the swine. He's going yes and amen. You want to talk to somebody that it believes with you? God goes yes and amen. He goes, I'm never going to go, well, no, you're, the promise is not for Joanne or Reba. Promises for Charlie. And it's for Charlie because Charlie used to be able to grow a really good mustache, and I like people with mustaches. You know, he's a mustache people. And mustache people, they're the ones that need to mull it over. You know? Anyway. It was a joke. There's this shirt. Kids have it. It's funny. Get over it. All right. So ugly or deceitful is not speaking like... You know, I cursed at you. I said bad things about, you know, I just said, you know, the S word. Stupid. <laughs> I said it. You know, when the kids were younger, they would go, they would go, I said the S word. I'd be like, I said the S word? It's like, they're like four years old. Who's te teaching them the S word? It'd be like, they called them stupid there. <laughs> Oh, yes, that's bad. Don't, don't go tell people they're stupid. And then I would go around and the kids would go, you just used the word stupid. You know, and I'd be like, I did, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I used that word. It's a horrible word. But you know, poor talking and strife and lies, especially about the word of God. When the word says one thing, and you say the opposite of it, that's a lie. If the word says that you're blessed and you say, nope, I'm always cursed. Everything that I ever touch is wrong. I, I can't get ahead in life. I can't do anything that's worthwhile. You know, we, we don't normally just stand around and talk that way. Like, you know, like I'm declaring it out to everybody like I just did in front of this room. But we, we tend to say things that 
make, that show our belief system. In fact, we, we will tend to see things a, a different way. We'll tend to have opportunities where our true beliefs will come out in a conversation. It will come out to people. You know, the world is anticipating something. They just don't know what to anticipate. They know they need something, but they don't know that it's Jesus. And sometimes you'll even tell them about Jesus. Do you know that everybody that I've ever talked to that was an atheist and I said, if this was true, would you believe it? They said, yes. And I go, it's true. It's that simple, but they can't see it yet. Romans 8, 18, it says, For I consider that the suffering of the present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed unto us. For the earnest expectation, same word, this, this intense anticipation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the Son of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willing but because of him was subjected to it in hope. So they quit. The futility of it made them stop having intense anticipation. And then they just kind of said, well, we're expecting something. We're, we're kind of we're just having hope. But over time, people give up. People give up when things when it keeps happening. And the thing is, is that God now has Jesus, which he has taught us these things, which we can apply the word to our situation, that we can have peace. Just like before this, we can actually go by ourselves in the midst of our own uh, secret place and we can start singing unto the Lord and we can have our own place of peace where we're not having the subjection of the world come in and attack us. And see, they weren't willing to just continue to have expectation, this intense anticipation. They just know something's going to come, hope it's going to come. Verse 21 says, because of the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors are with birth pains until now. Together until now. So I want you to understand something is that believers and non-believers fall into this bucket. I know people who are believers that they allow the world to just keep beaten on. I know people that they will continuously allow certain things to, to keep cropping up and they don't go back to the word. They don't go back and put the word in. You know, it's just, just like Romans uh, 10, 17, it says that by faith, that we gain faith through the word of God. That the word gives us faith in what? The Word. By reading the Word, we trust in the Word. By reading the Word, we trust in the Word. 
You know, if I if I went and turned right now on, you know, some sort of evolution thing, and I kept just putting it into people's head, well, people would start going, well, that that seems. I mean, it's what I keep seeing. You know, I have the exact same thing that happens with the news. So our kids are being bombarded by evolutionists. Our news is being bombarded by the world's political system and everything else. The thing is, is no one's going back to the word and they're going, this is what God says about the situation. He said, there'll be wars and rumors of wars and there'll be political issues. There'll be all these other things, but that's not it. Keep moving. Don't let those things drag you back. And you know what? The answer is Jesus. You know, he gives us that liberty to make us the children of God. You know that if I was if I was Donald Trump's son, I would have a different idealism about money than I have right now. I mean, I definitely know for a fact that if I was a billionaire son, so if dad was a billionaire, you know, I would not have heard when I was a kid, go turn the lights off. <laughs> you owe me a dollar every time we left the lights on. Do you know that that I wouldn't have heard that? Because there would have been a servant that would come in and they would have turned the lights <laughs> off for me, right? I would have walked around a lot differently than I do today. So the, the cares of this life is different based upon the cares. I want you to understand that. Everybody has cares, right? But if I'm a billionaire... I mean, if I have a lot of money, I'm diversified and everything, the whole United States could crash and I still would have more than everybody else. Go look at the, the, the Vanderbilts. They lost most of their fortune and still had enough fortune to where they were okay for quite some time. Their kids didn't know how to deal with the money. But that's the point I'm trying to make is the fact that at my level of where I make money, there's a lot more things that I think about than a billionaire thinks about. They don't think about money the way I think about money. They look at money as a way to make money. Money makes money. I look at it and say money pays bills that don't make me nothing. My car is not getting better, by the way, downstairs. And I'm paying money. But see, a billionaire goes... No, I've got a billion dollars. I'm going to go invest it. It's going to make me $3 billion. Their money makes money. See, that's our problem is the fact that we see things differently than what God's word says because we will see what the world tells us to see, what our circumstances tells us to see. And God's saying, don't think about it that way. That's not your concern. Now, do we need to concern ourselves with the things of this world? There are times where we need, need to. That does not need to be our all-concerning aspect of our life. We need to concern ourselves with the Word of God and what His Word says is truth and what the truth says will be truth in us and we will be a beacon and a light unto the world if we allow that Word to permeate inside of us, become a belief. It comes out of our mouth because whatever we believe, when we believe it, we say it. Mark 11, 23, 24. If we believe in our heart and we say with our mouth, it didn't say if we say with our mouth and believe with our heart. We believe first and then we say it. We need to understand 
that God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. And because of that, we are blessed. We have a purpose and a place and we can go out into the world and be a beacon and a light. Amen. Did y'all learn something today? Amen.